0: Welcome everyone to a brand new episode of the Heat vs. The World Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joel Jacob. You can follow me on Twitter at JoelKJacob underscore. And with me always, I got some guests. First, I got Jake Wild. Say what's up to the people, Jake.
1: Hey, what's going on, guys? You can catch me out on Twitter at Wild Thoughts. E at the end of Wild, two S's at the end of Thoughts.
0: And then after him, we got Miami Flash PE. Say what's up to the people, Flash.
1: What's up,
2: everybody? Follow me on Twitter at PE. Follow me if I will you right back.
0: And then following him, we got our female correspondent, Miss Angelina Martel. Say what's up to the people, Angelina.
3: What's going on here versus the world? It's Angelina Martel. You can follow me at Twitter at Angie Martel with two E's for all your latest Miami Heat updates.
0: And then, following her, we have a very special guest. He's been with the Miami Heat since day one. You can catch him on Sun Sports with his signature "Kaboom." Say hello to the Heat vs. the world audience, Mr. Eric
4: Reed. Hello there. Good to be with you guys.
0: So, thank you so much for hopping on today. So, my first question that I want to ask is. Uh, Mr. Reed, so you've been with the Heat for so long, from from the very start. You know, how have these plus thirty years been for you?
4: Well, amazing, wonderful. Um, you know, it's gone by so fast, um, and it's been an extraordinary privilege um, that I've been able to enjoy Heat basketball. Uh, you know, with everybody in Heat Nation. For the entire history of the franchise. And I, and I understand there's always new fans and young people jumping on board. And I also understand that there are people that have been watching as long as the Heat have been playing. Um, and, and we're all one group and we're all enjoying Heat basketball together over these many years. So you know it's it you know you got to be incredibly fortunate to get one of these jobs think about it there's only 30 nba teams so there's 30 other guys in the country that have the same job as as i have so you you take it seriously you you prepare and you're ready for every game and for me i feel like the the essence of my job is just keep preparing and getting ready for the next game and even in a season like this we're right now we're in the middle of five games and seven nights that's the challenge come prepared come with energy and come ready to uh, you know enjoy each game one at a time and that's not hard to do especially when you're when you're following a team like the heat in, in a season as competitive and as close as the one we're in
0: hmm and then Jake I know you have a question
1: Definitely. So first off, Mr. Reed, it is an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you. Um, I kind of want to touch on something that you just mentioned. Um, So, yeah, you've you've been here for 32 years. And in my humble opinion, are the absolute best at what you do. Um, Could you talk a little bit about how you actually do prepare um, for games? Maybe some of the stuff you're doing um, behind the scenes, talking to players, kind of anything in that in that realm. Great
4: question. You know, this year. You know, I love having conversations with head coaches, assistant coaches, players, writers, broadcasters that that cover all these teams. Um, During the pandemic, that has been more challenging and more difficult to to do. Um, Fortunately, there are Zoom calls, so we do speak with each coach before the game and, and get to hear them after the game. But that, that contact uh, between us and players and even other media members, um, it's been reduced, you know, since the bubble in the summer and, and the season that we're in. But that is always a big part of it. The conversations that you have, uh, enable you to tell fresh stories every night for every game. Um, and then there's also, you know, I, I, I think most people in my position would have it. I got the NBA package on direct TV. So I'm constantly on nights where we're not doing games. Uh, I'm sitting at my desk in my home office, uh, preparing for the next game, and I'll have games on TV. And I'll always try to scout the Heat's next opponent or two, you know, in the in the days or weeks, uh, you know, leading up to the game. Um, and, and of course, the more you see, the more you know and, and learn. But. I, I read the clips every day about the teams that we're about to face. You stay up to date as, as possible. And the real work for me, doing, doing the game is the joyful exercise of my job. That, that's the fun part. I, I think the work involved is getting prepared. And I go through a system, uh, some of it's computerized, some of it I input on my own. Uh, but I'm going to have information on both teams. Um, I'm going to have information on 15 players on each team. I want to, I want to tell the other team's story as intelligently and as well as I can. Um, I want to be able to tell stories about what's going on around the league. So, you know, when, when one game ends, the clock starts ticking to get ready for the next game. So today, you know, off day, right? No, it's, it's a day to get ready. For the next game against Orlando. And even though, and that's Sunday night, even though we just played the Magic a few nights ago, the Magic played in San Antonio last night. So I'm going to have to go into my computer and, you know, tweak some notes and update some things and, and not neglect what's gone on the last two or three days since the last time the Heat played the Magic. Um, and I'll do the same with my Heat notes. I'll go through each player, update any little statistical things. And, and here's the thing about it. There's two disciplines that I think are involved with preparing for games and doing games. Number one is the discipline to be as prepared as you can be. And then the even more important discipline, once the game begins, to not feel like you got to use any of the, of the stats or nuggets or, or stories that you may have in mind. Um, I always say this to, to young broadcasters and, and and veteran broadcasters as well. The game is the boss, not the announcer. The game sort of leads me and tells me what I should be talking about. And I would say the same for who's ever producing the telecast or the radio broadcast. Um, you gotta, you gotta see the big picture, the store, you, you may have things planned on what you might want to talk about, but it might not have anything to do with the game you're watching. So that's the story you should be telling, uh, uh, is, is the game that you're watching. And like, look at last night, you know, Dragic has no points in the, in the first half. He scores five in the third quarter. And in a game that was up for grabs in Chicago, you know, he goes off and scores 20 points in the fourth quarter on seven for 10 shooting. Um, and it was one of the best. It was his best scoring quarter of the season. Uh, it was one of the it, it came four points shy of Dwayne Wade's Miami Heat record of most points in a fourth quarter. So nobody, you know. That information I had to come up with on my own as it was happening and and tell the story, because could you imagine if I didn't know all that information? Uh, I was keeping score. I had a stat guy with me, but I keep my own score as I'm televising the game. So I was very much aware and kept the viewers aware. He's got five points in the fourth quarter. He's got 10. He's up to fifth. And it became the story of the game. And that's the coolest thing about the job is all the preparation you do becomes very secondary to the spontaneity uh, of the moment. It's a live sporting event that changes by the minute or or even by the second. And you got to be ready to adapt and and adjust and tell the story of, of the game we're all watching. So the prep is important. It makes the game easy to do. But I think how good a job you do is is you know using the the prep as as sort of like salt and pepper. The main course is what the game is serving.
0: Mm-hmm. And then clutch you.
2: Hey Eric, I, I wanted to get your perspective on this because you've had you've seen everything in Miami history. Basically, when the Heat had their inaugural season, and then after that they followed some down years, but then in the mid '90s comes in Pat Riley. What type of immediate impact did he have on the Heat franchise then
4: and going forward? That's a great question. Um, And, you know, I could could go into a whole monologue. Now I know why you guys asked for 45 minutes. I mean, um, you know, when the the Heat first started for the 88-89 season, um that was a whole story unto itself blazing a new trail remember they they hadn't had college basketball at the university of miami for a while the program got shut down and then restarted in the late 80s um and the only pro basketball they had down here was the aba's miami floridians and they played at you know a bunch of different places including the miami beach convention center i remember as a little kid coming down here on vacation my dad took me to a to a miami floridians carolina cougars game i'll never forget it and uh, it was at the miami beach convention center but there wasn't much of a history or a footprint for basketball in this market and you know it became a really fun happening in downtown miami we didn't win very much but the, the stories and the memories from those first three years with 15 18 and 24 wins in those first three seasons uh the very first season an owen 17 start and, um, you know, my good friend, Ron Rossian, who was the Heat's first head coach and now does a great job as a TV analyst with, with Jax on all the shows. Um, you know, he was our first head coach and I'll never forget, you know, how we felt for him. He had to endorse 17 losses before that first win in LA against the Clippers. I, I said a great weight ended and an even greater weight was lifted from, from the coach and, and those players on that first team. But, you know, after the, these young players that we had been grooming, we traded a lot of them away, and we sort of were looking for what the identity would be. And that's when Mickey Arison, you know, stepped in um, and took over management control of the team. And it happened in the middle of a season, and uh, they made a coaching change. That's when uh, Alvin Gentry stepped in for Kevin Lockery, and that's right when Mickey took over. It was during the All-Star break. And he, his first person he hired was Dave Wool, who was a, an original assistant coach with the Heat, uh, went on, did one year of broadcasting with me, and then was a longtime assistant, former head coach in the league as well. He was the GM for the, for the rest of that season. And it, by the, by the time the next season came around, the Heat had hired Pat Riley, who was doing an amazing job as the head coach of the New York Knicks, um, and, and he came in as the president and head coach of the Miami Heat. I will never forget the press conference, guys. Um, it was on one of the Carnival cruise ships, The Imagination. And you didn't have to use much of your imagination to, to envision what was to come. It, you know, There's very few people that can instantly change the course of history or, or the direction of a business or franchise. With the character of that business and franchise. And I, I think as you study the Miami Heat organization, listen, it was great to blaze that trail and people like Louis Chaffell and Billy Cunningham and Zev, and Zev Buffman and Ted Arison, uh, you know, we're thankful to all of them without, without them and many others, there would be no Miami Heat. Uh, but, but clearly the Mickey Harrison, Pat Riley relationship at the top of the organization. Uh, that happened right around 90, 95, 96. Um, you know, it instantly transformed the Heat into a much different franchise. And And I remember sitting in the back of the room at that press conference when Pat Riley was introduced and I'm standing there with Tony Fiorentino, the the longtime assistant coach and, and my broadcast partner for 15 seasons. And we're both from New York originally. Uh, obviously, it followed the Knicks and, and knew everything that Pat Riley meant to the league and and, and what he had done to the Knicks to transform them after his transformative years as the Lakers head coach, winning championships and contending for the ones that they didn't win. But just a, a feeling of disbelief, like, is this really happening? I mean, the Miami Heat landed Pat Riley. And, he you know, in that first speech, he, you know, one of the great signs of any leader is, you know, to be a visionary, to see things before the rest of us do. And he had already had that, Image in his mind about a, a championship parade down Biscayne Boulevard, and it took years for it to happen. Um, the that actual parade and the first of three championships. But from the moment he got here, he changed the culture. He changed the expectation. He changed what it meant to be a part of the Heat organization. It wasn't just about being in the league; it was trying to win the the league and 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 win championships. And you know, there were a lot of heartbreaks in in the late '90s. You know, in those those playoff series with the Knicks. Uh, We met met them four straight years. It became, you know, know, during that time, from 97 through 2000, the fiercest rivalry, the most watched games in the NBA, were the Miami Heat and the New York Knicks. And we had four straight playoff series with them. And we won the first one in seven games. That was the Charlie Ward-P.J. Brown incident, game five. Uh, it, It went seven, Miami won. The Heat lost the next three years in a... a a deciding game and each year lost that deciding game at home so our history like everybody's history uh you know in in a pro sport is littered with heartache and heartbreak before the ultimate breakthrough but you know just the just the leadership atop. it's it's not you know success seldom happens even in a flash by accident and when it's as consistent as the success has been for miami it's clearly not a coincidence or an accident. Um, it's because there's great leadership right at the top of the organization, an owner that that makes it a first-class place to work and, and compete, and a president and, and and sort of a guiding force in Pat Riley that knows what it takes to win, puts people in the right positions. Um, great eye for talent you know Miami's been so good at discovering talent and then you got to do more than that you got to find the Duncan Robinsons of the world and the Kendrick Nuns. uh these undrafted players that sort of slip through the cracks but you can't treat them like they're finished products no matter who you get even if it's a, a you know Bam Adebayo Precious Achua they come in one way when they leave Miami they they, they leave another way more complete going to get everything they have out of their skills. And that's not just one person. That's a whole organization of people. But it starts right at the top. So the tone at the top really clearly set and established by the Arison family and by Pat Riley. And now the continuity of having Eric Spolstra as your head coach, you know, now in his 13th season. You know, when Pat Riley, again, the, the clairvoyance and the vision to see things before the rest of us see things. Now everybody knows that Eric Spolstra is one of the absolute best basketball coaches in the nba uh nobody knew it back then but pat riley had a feeling about it and 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 put him in place and and gave him two years to get ready before he handed him a team with lebron james dwayne wade and chris bosh and the next thing you know you're in four straight finals and win back-to-back championships and spo never got the kind of credit he deserved back then but i think taking last year's heat team uh through the bubble into the finals uh nobody expected the heat would would beat milwaukee uh let alone beat milwaukee and boston to get to the finals um it's not an excuse but if bam Adebayo and goran Dragic didn't get hurt in game one of the, of the finals against the lakers that would have been a very different series it, it still went six games with the heat missing two of their top players so I'm not, I, nobody knows how it would have worked out, but, but clearly, listen, the, the Heat had an amazing run to the finals and could have very easily won the championship had they stayed healthy last year. But that team, um, the ensemble cast led by, you know, uh, this great player in Jimmy Butler, who has, I think, been more than you could have even hoped for as a Heat fan, uh, since joining the team last year. But I, I think it was our most, beloved team nationally even if you weren't a heat fan the way they played and the way the sum was better than its individual parts that brought a lot of fans in and i think you know maybe 10 years late it brought the kind of credit and respect uh from fans to eric spolster people in the business other coaches uh intelligent media people already knew that eric spolster was one of the best coaches but pat riley knew it first and i think it's just one of you know, many, many examples of his vision and his feel that has set the Heat apart among pro sports franchises.
0: Mm -hmm. And then
4: Hi,
3: Eric. So you have been with the Heat for 32 years, which so you basically been with them from the when they were built from the ground up, meaning building the organization and developing the sense of Heat culture. And you've had the opportunity to work with some amazing TV broadcasters, such as Jason Jackson, John Crotty, Tony Fiorentino. What's that been like for you?
4: It's been an amazing journey. Um, you know, there's been so many people that have had such a big influence and has shared so much in the experience. You know, too many to mention. But, you know, uh, this is my third year doing the games with John Crotty, who, you know, uh, had an 11-year playing career in the league. One of those seasons was with the Miami Heat. He was on our 96-97 team. Um, that was the best regular season team we probably ever had until the big three came along, lost to the bulls in the Eastern conference finals in 97 to Michael Jordan's bulls. It was the first time the heat as a franchise got there. So John was a part of that. And I've known John all those years, Um, actually helped him a little bit, get started as a broadcaster. When he first stopped playing, John has worked really hard over the last 10 years, first doing the radio, uh, with Mike Inglis, and then getting some great TV experience working with Jax in the studio and Will Manso, and, you know, becoming a very good broadcaster and, and and working on a new craft. So now this is our third year together. Prior to that, I spent 15 years working with Tony Fiorentino. Tony and I first met in 1988, when the very first year of the Heat, Tony was one of Ron Rothstein's assistant coaches. It was his first year in the NBA. He'd been the very successful high school basketball coach at Mount Vernon in New York, which turned out a lot of NBA players and big time college players. Um, so Tony and I uh, traveled a similar path, knew a lot of the same people and became instant friends. And uh, Coach Rothstein, and myself and Tony have been very close from year one of the franchise. So could you imagine the depth of of those friendships and relationships? We've We've all known each other now for 33 years. Um, the conversations, the dinners, the basketball games, why wow, we've spent a lot of time together and and all of it's been joyful, wonderful time. I, I also had, you know, so to share those championship memories with with Tony, um, to go through all of that together, we always took such pride in our 15 years working together that we were the only broadcast team in the league. Where both announcers were original employees of their franchise. It's listen. It's you got to be amazingly lucky to get a job. There's only 30 NBA teams, like I said. So you got to be talented, but you also got to be very lucky and fortunate to get one of those jobs. But to have it be with an expansion team, where you are in from day one and get to grow with it and and be and you know become one of the storytellers of, re, of recounting each game, and all of a sudden. There's a history of games behind it now, and and we've been privileged to tell that whole story. So to share that experience with Tony is is something neither of us will ever forget, and and both of us will always cherish. You know, for, for eight years before Tony, I got to spend those eight broadcast years with uh, the late, great Hall of Fame coach, Dr. Jack Ramsey. And that experience, you know, transcends more than just, you know, basketball announcers together. Jack was about my dad's age, my dad passed away the year before I got the job with the Heat, um, but having Jack Ramsey was like a second chance to have a dad, and uh, what a dad he was, because uh, just a fatherly, almost grandfatherly figure. I've never seen anybody in the profession combine knowledge and warmth with the way Jack Ramsey did, and it, and it, it was just so natural. And, and those eight years, oh, we did over 500 games together uh, from the Kevin Lockery era of coaching, uh, we bridged Pat Riley's, you know, entrance to the scene in Miami, and Jack and I got to do those games together. So before and and at the beginning of the Pat Riley era, it was it was Reed and Ramsey getting to do those games. Uh, you know, yeah, I could still hear Jack, you know, shouting out Bashan Leonard's name and Tim Hardaway this away that away Hardaway. So magical years, and I I know how I've had many broadcast partners, but when I recount and think that I've spent. Um, 23 years with Tony Fiorentino and Jack Ramsey, you know, two great guys, um, two outstanding coaches, Jack, one of the greatest coaches that ever lived, um, you know, obviously enriched me both as a basketball person and as a person. And now to share the experience with John Crotty and Jacks and Ron Rothstein and Ruth Riley Hunter, um, you know, it's, 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 it's an experience we never take for granted, um. Imagine how lucky we all know we are to go to work every night and, and be so humbled and thankful that this is what we do for a living. I, yeah, you know, I spent a, I spent a bunch of years doing college basketball before I got to the heat. So I think I've been blessed with about 44 or 45 years in a row of, of doing basketball for somebody. I started my junior year at Ithaca College in Ithaca, New York. Don't, have, it's a long story, but I got, I got a job doing uh Cornell University I for for a, a, a an internship at at college my internship for radio workshop was doing color for the Cornell University basketball games at home and lo and behold for the for two games that season the play by play guy who is the news director couldn't make the games so I drive up on my own to Syracuse New York to do Cornell at Syracuse and did another game that year Cornell at Niagara did those games on the radio, play-by-play. Play. And by the next year, as a senior at Ithaca College, I'm traveling with the Cornell basketball team, doing their road games by myself and, the, and their home games. And that turned into my first full-time job. Uh, so since like 1977, 78, I've been doing basketball for somebody, either Cornell, Providence College, the Big East, um, and, and then the last 33 years for the Miami Heat. So it's what I know best. I hope it's what I do best other than being a father and a husband, which is clearly very important to me. Um, but yeah, what a, what an incredible way to earn your living and, and to pass the last 40 years of your life and enjoying one basketball season after another. And guess what guys? I had a whole basketball life before that as a young kid growing up in New York with a dad who was crazy about uh the nfl and about the nba and about both sports in particular and i just grew up with with football and basketball in my heart and and pursued my dreams to somehow find a way to stay involved in in those games that that i grew up loving and that's always my advice to my own three children and to any young people that i speak to is try to match your passion with your profession um it's easier said than done but if you can do it um it's like having a first down in life all the time of, you know, when you really enjoy and take pride in what you do.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And then, um, Coach, I have a really good question to ask. And it's about one of your most iconic um, catchphrases ever. Um, how did you come up with the catchphrase, kaboom?
4: Is there a second part to that question? Um, no, uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, you sounded a little unsure as you approach that. Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I'm going to tell you the honest story. Um, you know, during the years that I worked with Jack Ramsey, we took a lot of cabs, uh, to, to a lot of games together. Okay. And this, and Jack, one of the things I loved about it, the endearing nature of Jack Ramsey was just the, how, how wonderful a person he was. So there wasn't a, a cab ride where he didn't converse with the cab driver and find out a lot, a little bit about whoever it was that was driving us to that game. And on this given night, um, we had a cab driver and um, Jack asked him if he was a sports fan. He said, yes. He said, and, and ha- when I got involved in the conversation, it was right at this point when the cab driver tells Dr. Jack, I love listening to the bulls games on radio while I'm in my car. And I asked him, what do you love about it? He goes, well, I love the announcer on the radio. The, the announcer was Neil Funk, who was the longtime radio and TV announcer in the NBA. And he had done both with the Chicago Bulls up until a year ago. Um, and what he loved about Neil Funk was that he said, kaboom. I go, really? When, when does he say kaboom? He goes, oh, on three-point shots, on big shots. So I turned in the backseat to Jack Ramson. And I said, Jack, isn't that amazing what this guy and this was after the cab ride ended. I said, Jack, isn't that amazing what this guy loved was that the guys that Neil Funk says kaboom on three point shots. I said, all the information and all the, the stories we tell, um, you know, this is what resonates with this particular listener. I said, I'm going to throw in a kaboom tonight. And for that Heat Bulls game, you know, I think Dan Marley was making a lot of three-point shots back in those days for the Heat. I sprinkled in a few kabooms that night, and I have been kabooming along with Heat three-point shooters ever since. I admitted my theft to Neil Funk himself. I told Neil, I said I, I, I stole your kaboom, and I've been using it, and now it's amusing to me. Uh, you know, I, I've taken it to whatever level I've taken it to, and now. Other announcers around the league are, are are using it, and Kevin Harlan has occasionally used it on TNT, and and Heat fans get all crazy, like Eric, he stole your line. I was like, yeah, don't worry about it. I stole it too. It's a <laughs> it's a collaborative enterprise. You hear a good idea, you try to use it. Uh, what I try not to do is overuse it. Uh, you know, there's too many threes now. To kaboom on every one of them. There's just too many threes per game. I don't want to wear people out with it, but. Uh, you you know it's spontaneous i don't pre-plan out what or when i'm going to say things but I, i think people like the the consistency of certain things and i guess kaboom is is part of uh the vocabulary we call basketball with but it is kind of funny how to each viewer or listener um it's it's always interesting you know it's a very subjective thing is how fans feel about their announcers um Everybody's entitled to their opinion, and, and most everybody has one. So, um, but, yeah, you just try to s- sprinkle in entertainment and information and enjoy the game with the partner that you're working with and, and, and do, your best, do your best work every single time you can.
1: Mm-hmm. And then Jake? Yeah, so, um, so we talked a little bit about it earlier, uh, but just kind of the, the impact Jimmy is having on this team. Um, brought a whole new life to the to, you know to what we're doing um, obviously with the way he plays and his intensity on both sides of the ball and obviously as a leader in the locker room uh, it reminds me a lot of Alonzo morning um, I grew up and you know he was my you know he was my favorite player growing up and I, I kind of wanted to to speak to you about um, the uh, you know having been in fir- the, the first row watching all their games how do you feel about the comparison between Jimmy and and Zoe as kind of like the arbiter of heat culture and
4: and what that's meant to the team? I think that's a really valid point. I haven't heard that used very much. Um, You know, both rank really high on the leadership scale. Um, um, Both very competitive players. Uh, To both of those guys, the game was personal and meant a lot, and winning meant everything. Um, wasn't It wasn't about compiling stats for either of those guys. The only stat they either one cared about is wins. And, I, you know, I've said this a lot on the air recently, J, you know, Jimmy is everything Heat fans could have hoped for and more, and more, much more. Um, you know, I, until you're with a player and watch him every night, that's when you really learn about a player. And I think for Jimmy and for the Heat, the timing was perfect. Because, you know, we, we tried to tell the story a little bit last night, Jimmy's first six years with the Bulls, how modest those first three seasons were. And then the explosion to being a 20-point-per-game guy. And by the time he left Chicago, he was a 24-point-a-game scorer. And since Chicago, uh, there was the stint in Minnesota, uh, the one year in Philadelphia. And when he came to Miami, there were just as many rooters and fans of him as there were detractors and naysayers about him but uh jimmy is a is a mature player i think he's also a mature man um he's all grown up in every way and his game's all grown up too and it's it's complete um i I, i've been comparing him a lot to to football you know i said he's built like a linebacker but he plays like a quarterback He's the equivalent of having a running game in football because, you know, some nights the three-point shots are not going. And even on the nights they are, his his penetration to the basket creates a lot of those threes. And he's also diversifying the Heat's offensive portfolio by, you know, scoring a lot in the paint. And when, when the Heat need a basket, you know, he's really good at taking the game's temperature and knowing what needs to be done and having the ability, the skill, and the will to, to get it done. Um so he's been great uh, and and I think what what he he's over achieved with is his incredible leadership. It you know you see the way he's bonded with Dragic, another veteran player. Uh you've also seen the way he has infused confidence in all these young guys around him from Bam to Tyler Hero to Kendrick Nunn uh, to Duncan Robinson, all even Max Struess and Gabe Vincent now, uh, these the young two-way guys. Jimmy's a really strong leader. You know, like, and, and the comparison is though, I'm gonna put it this way to you. When the best player on your team is also your hardest worker, you're in great shape as a franchise. Think about it. When your best player is your hardest worker, the the kind of tone that it sets as opposed to if you got a great player who takes shortcuts and doesn't like the practice and doesn't pay attention to details and doesn't make others around him better, uh, and inspire and motivate in all kinds of ways. Uh, you need that. That's what, that, that's one of the key separators in what makes good teams, good and, and great teams. Great. Uh, it's, it's leadership on the court like, like those two guys, Zo and, and Jimmy Bring and, uh, you know, Jimmy's fiery. He's competitive. He's trying to win every single time out. Um, he's uh, notoriously early at practice and he puts the work in. And it's a game where he's derived all this success, uh, by outworking people and out willing people. I'll be honest with you, it's been a real pleasure to watch it. Uh, you know, when I think back to the Heat's two wins in last year's finals, the triple doubles he had, you know, with with 40 plus points. I mean, they, he exhausted and depleted every himself and, and left us with the memories of two of the great finals performances, uh, any of us have a, ever seen. And, and now he's trying to do the same thing with this year's team. And, you know, I wouldn't underestimate what the Heat will be able to, to do and, and accomplish come playoff time again this year. And, and really, I think we're seeing now more than ever. Jimmy is the guy. Uh, he's, He's the best, most important player that the franchise has right now. No offense to Bam, who is a young, rising superstar. But right now, um, you know, Jimmy is is the leader. And I always say this on our, our telecast. For Miami, you just play that game. Follow your leader. He's going to take you to the right place.
0: Mm-hmm. And, um, Flash, you?
4: Right. So... Going
2: just going off this of uh, Jake's question about Jimmy Butler, you said he's the most important player of this team, the best player on this team. He's the MVP of the Heat. Do you think there's a case to be made for him to be in the MVP conversation for the league?
4: Well, I would say not right now at twenty and eighteen, but you know, let, let's let's talk about that at the end of the season when we see where the Heat wind up and and what kind of finish it is. Uh, you know, Bam and Jimmy, neither they they they're both all-star players neither was on the all-star team this year. Um that's more reflective of the lack of success we had uh winning games in the first half of the season and a lot of that was because of Jimmy's availability. You know uh, we're we're 6 games under 500 without him and we're 8 games over with him. So uh you know you play at that kind of pace you're going to be a top 3 or 4 team in the east and it's a different conversation that you're having but Jimmy doesn't care about that. Jimmy just wants to get back to the playoffs and get back to the finals and win it. That's all Jimmy cares about.
0: And then Angelina.
3: Yes. So um this is going a little bit like off like the players, but it's still relevant to the conversation. So going back to you being one of the most like popular play by play announcers in the league, have you always wanted to do that? Like has that always been your dream job or have did you have something else in mind?
4: Thank you for your kind words, Angelina. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's really funny how, you know, think some things change. Like radio for me growing up as a kid was, I loved radio. I loved listening to games on the radio. When I was a kid, not every game was televised. So I can remember when I should have been doing my homework, uh, sitting in my room at home as a kid with the transistor radio on listening to the Nick game. And I, I thought I was Red Holzman, the coach of the Knicks, sitting on the edge of my bed, actively listening. Uh, to to the radio description of the game, and and when I was 11 years old, I mean it's crazy crazy beautiful memories that I have. My dad was a season ticket holder for the Jets and the Knicks when I was a kid. So at the age of 11, I'm at the 1968 AFL Championship game when the Jets beat the Oakland Raiders at Chase Stadium uh, to win the AFL Championship and advance to the Super Bowl. It was Super Bowl three. The third Super Bowl right and my dad looked down at me at the game and said uh, something about going to the Super Bowl I said w- could you bring me back a program he goes I'm taking you with me and we came down as a family and my dad and I were in the Orange Bowl in Miami January 12th 1969 uh, we were there to witness the Jets beating the Colts Um, In in one of the most important games ever played in the National Football League, it was the game that created the merger between the AFL and the NFL. But for me, it's this incredible childhood memory. Uh, The Jets haven't been back to a Super Bowl since then. Neither have I, by the way. Later that same year, I sat at Game 7, about 10 rows behind the basket at Madison Square Garden with my same dad, and we watched the Knicks win their first championship. Um, Those two experiences as a fan with my pop, um, is, is probably the reason I am where I am today. It, it planted a seed of passion and of love uh, for the game, for the experience of enjoying the game. And I just found either, you know, I, I wasn't a very good player. My career didn't get past high school. Um, but it, it made me figure out early on in life, like, how do I stay involved with, with these two sports that I really love, football and basketball? And uh, the way I ultimately chose was as a radio broadcaster. And I just wanted to be the best radio broadcaster I could be. I love the art of, of you know, verbally uh, describing a game for people that can't see it. That's the true art of play by play. I was fortunate, you know, many, many years ago to get involved with TV, but it almost happened by accident rather than by plan. But yes, from, from, from an early age, I had a real interest in, in being a, a radio broadcaster for either an NFL or an NBA team. So I am living my childhood dream. And all these years later, I, I I feel so fortunate that I enjoy my work as much as I do because it's time consuming. It's not for everybody. Um, you you got to be you got to be sometimes two tunnel vision, and then it's really healthy to be to to do as many games and be ready for them and travel and and spend as much time in the job. But so I always say it it takes a lot from you, and it, it truly gives a lot back to you. And and my family over all these years has enjoyed so many of these games with me and, and, and the, and both the championship experience uh, experiences that we've shared and all the experiences, you go through it mostly, most personally with your own family. And uh, certainly it makes it easier for me to have the great wife and the three beautiful kids that I have who support me and what I do. And, and guess what? I, I support them in, in everything they can do. And, and that's part of being successful in life. It's not just being, you know, passionate and good, at your job or hopefully great at your job. It's being passionate and great at, at really your most important job. And that's being, you know, the, the father and husband and person that, that you really aspire to be. So we're all trying to be the best versions of ourselves. That's the goal. And, um, you know, that, that is my goal every day. Be, be the best father, husband, person and heat broadcaster that I can be. It's
1: awesome. Good for you, man. Awesome. Mr. Reed, do you have time for for another question?
4: Yeah, let's let's try to wrap it up soon. But I have time for uh, one or two more questions.
1: Okay, I actually had one. Um, so this is obviously a crazy year, um, including the second half of the last NBA season um, dealing with the coronavirus. Um, and I've actually heard you on another pod speaking about how you know you had to transition to announcing games off of a twelve inch TV monitor. Um, so could you, just, could you talk a little bit about how this year, you know, you, you tra- the transition from doing games live in person to now having to not be able to travel with the team on away games and having, you know, a different view for home games?
4: It's been a, an unusual experience. I, I think it's unforgettable what we're all going through as broadcasters around the league. Uh, none of us will probably ever forget this, this time. I, I think none of us would rather do it this way. But I think all of us are in the same boat of appreciating uh, that the league is still playing games and that we're still able to do our jobs. And, and guess what? The the fan at home watching or listening, they don't care uh, whether where I'm, where I'm at or if my seat is at courtside or if I'm high above courtside like we are now at the American Airlines Arena. They're just tuning in to watch the game. So we're not trying to fool anybody. Obviously, when we came on camera last night, you could see we were at the American Airlines arena and the game was being played in Chicago. But, you you know, the little subtle things you can do. I, I'm not trying to fool or or lie to anybody on the air, but I'm going to try to give you a little bit of the flavor of what it like in Chicago that night by simply asking my phone, like, what's the weather in Chicago and seeing that it's 38 degrees at eight o'clock in Chicago. So when we came on the air, I said, on a 38-degree night in Chicago, I didn't say I was there. I'm just telling you what the temperature was in Chicago. You, you know what I'm saying? So I, I say – I don't say we're in Chicago. The Heat and Bulls meeting in Chicago. So people can see that we're not there just when we're on camera. Other than that, you, you would never know. Um, and it's surreal. Like driving to the American Airlines arena um, last night to do the Heat Bulls game that's being played in Chicago and you walk into this empty, beautiful building, this cathedral of basketball with our championship banners and our retired jerseys hanging from the rafters and not a single soul in the seats. And you're looking at our court illuminated under the bright lights and all of a sudden the game begins and you realize there's nothing going on in front of you. You better turn to that little, right now I think it's a 20-inch TV monitor in front of us. And that's how I'm calling the game. So, my wife in our living room is watching on a 70-inch TV and I'm broadcasting the game off a 20-inch TV. So uh, <laughs> it's the first time in my career that it's challenging to just even see who has the ball. Uh, sometimes the camera angle isn't great and some you just don't see the game as well as you're used to seeing it. But I think for the most part, uh, broadcasters in, in all sports around the country that have been doing it this way, we're all trying to do the best job we can do with it. And and the weirdness and the oddness of it goes away the minute the game begins because we're all just locked in on the TV screen and, and trying to call that game. And I have no problems like giving myself over emotionally to any game that I do. That's that's what you do. So you just lock in, you connect with the game, and you call it like you're there. And I'm still jumping out of my seat, uh, you know, during moments of, of certain games. and And whenever that happens, I drive home feeling thankful that that all these years later the game and the moments still do that to me and still reach me like that and and I hope that natural and and that real emotion that that's what should come across because that's what it that's what's there
0: Mm -hmm. and then so um, mr. Reed, on one question I want to ask before we do end up closing it out is do you have anything that you would want to say to all the Heat fans out there about you know what's next for you in your career as you know hopefully we get to see more uh, memories involving you and John Crotty in the future
4: well listen you know you know what the future is for me uh, do what i got to do today to get to you know um, uh, to get ready for you know today in life and tomorrow in the nba because he'd play the magic tomorrow night so I'm going to start putting in some hours today of getting myself ready for the next game and then go through all my game day rituals. Uh, my wife thinks I'm out of my mind how early I I arrive at the arena. You know, <laughs> I get there sometimes three, four hours before the game. But there's so many levels of, of preparation and getting your mind and spirit right. And you never know what thought may come into your head, what you might want to look up at the moment. Maybe there's an article that you still haven't read. Uh, and, and just getting right with, with the basketball universe, uh, in front of you and, and getting yourself ready to do that next game. But so that's it. No, you know, and, and listen, I, I always go one game at a time. I've been so blessed. This is my 33rd season, uh, with the Heat and the Heat's 33 years old as a franchise. So, um, you know, for as long as you feel you can do it at, at the level you're doing it at and that you're passionate and enjoying it. And as long as that organization wants you to keep on doing it. Uh, that's how long we hope we, we get to continue. So uh, I just know I still love, love and appreciate the position I'm in, and, and just try to do it justice every single night. Mm-hmm.
0: So with that being said, uh, I'd like to thank um, Mr. Eric Reed for hopping on today's podcast, and I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. And we'll see you guys next time with the brand new episode of the Heat vs. the World podcast. Thank you for listening to the Heat vs. the World podcast, and we'll see you next time with a brand new episode. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Heat vs. the World podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joel Jacob, and you can follow me on Twitter at JoelKJacob underscore. And with me always, I got some guests. First, we got Miami Flash PE. Say what's up to the people, Flash.
2: What's up, everybody? Miami Clutch PE on Twitter. Follow me. follow you right back.
0: And then following him, we got from Five Reasons and well-known on Reddit as an author, Mr. Brian Young. Say what's up to the people, Brian.
5: What's up? Uh, follow me at Brian is the King. Uh, yeah, for horror stories and sometimes basketball talk.
0: And then right after him, we got Mr. Jimmy Bucket. Say what's up to the people, Jimmy. People,
6: Jimmy. What's going on? he? nice. It's Jimmy Buckets here. You can follow me on Twitter, Jimmy Buckets, with four Zs at the end.
0: And then right after that, we got our female correspondent, Miss Angelina Martell. Say what's up to the people, Angelina.
3: What's going on, University of the World? It's Angelina Martell. You can follow me on Twitter, at Angie Martell, with two E's for the latest Miami Heat updates.
0: And as always, we got a very good episode for you guys. So last night, while the game did have a few scares here and there, Miami pulled away with another win, and we're at 21-18. So to be three games over 500 is amazing. How are you guys feeling right now? We'll start with you, Flash.
2: I feel great. I mean, last time we were on here and able to talk about the games and stuff, we, we sucked. We don't anymore. So that's always a good thing. We played good last night. Uh, Like you said, scary moments. Um, Nikola Vucevic turned into prime reality. And Terrence Ross just doing Terrence Ross things. And that he always does against us. And gets us mad, frustrated. Because he just can't miss against the Miami Heat. So it's (laughs) crazy. But mainly... I just want to get this out of the way. Jimmy Butler. He's been so, so good. Last night, look at his stat line. 29-7, 9, and 5 steals. He's been playing out of his mind ever since he beat COVID. Because he destroyed COVID because that apparently had no effect on him at all. He played really well. Duncan. He went 4 for 12. He's, he's taking a lot of shots and he still needs to, like, be more efficient as a shooter, but as long as he's getting three or four a game, I'm fine with that. And what everybody's been waiting for, at least for the first half of the game, Casey Apala finally did something on offense that's not shooting a corner three, and I love it. So I think we played really well. I think we're finding our groove. Tyler Hero looks like he's coming back into the form. Iwadala plays great defense. So all around, I think we played a good game. And it uh, should probably keep this momentum going forward
5: with the rec- with the schedule we have.
0: Right. And then, Brian, you? Uh,
5: yeah, it was a good game. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, whenever they play the Magic, they might as well be playing the 96 Bulls. So <laughs> anytime, anytime we beat them, it's a good win. Um, you know, you can't not love what you're seeing from Jimmy. You know, it's good to see Tyler Hero kind of round back in the form. You know, uh, like Clutch mentioned, KZ had a, not not necessarily a breakout game, but, you know, a game where he showed flashes and, you know, the, the kind of progression that I think we all want to see from him. So I'm liking this positive momentum.
0: Right. And then Jimmy Buckets, what about you?
5: Oh, uh, I'm feeling really, really
6: optimistic. Uh, about this team going forward, uh, whether we make moves or not. I mean, hopefully we do make a couple moves to address our our needs and everything, but I'm feeling optimistic and I'm also impressed. Uh, I'm really impressed with a few things that our team is doing just so well over the last few games, especially without Bam in the mix. I think KO stepped up big time as much as we've slandered him in the past. He has channeled something uh, within him. And I think it's really funny. I know Five Reasons tweeted out uh, what has gotten into Kelly O'Linick lately. And uh, Adam, Clutch Adam, res- responded to trade deadline. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was a really, really witty and funny response and very true. Also, I think Kelly knows that he is uh, a part of trade talks. And maybe that's what's caused him to step his game up. Uh, whether he wants to stay in Miami, which I think he does, I think he really likes his team or he wants to make sure he gets a good contract elsewhere. He's really stepped up his not only offensive game, uh, but his defensive game. Uh, he shot 50% from three last game, uh, had 18 points, seven rebounds, four assists, three steals, two blocks. I mean, Jimmy had a killer stat line, but if you look at KO's stat line, he was, uh, he, he was a big, big factor last night. So. Uh, big, big props to him and, and our whole team defense as a whole. Uh, another, uh, I mean, I know KZ is obviously really good at defense and he showed that last night, but I also noticed Tyler Hero playing really good defense last night, which is, uh, really, really nice to see to go along with his great offensive game he put up last night. So, uh, we, you know, basically Jimmy Butler, Kelly and Tyler. Um, uh, brought us home to W, so I, I'm just excited and, and optimistic, so good mm-hmm. W, go Heat.
0: And Angelina?
3: As I'm sure all Heat Nation is, we're extremely proud of our how far our team has come. We ended the first half over 500, not over 500, I'm sorry, at 500, we were 18 and 18, and from then on, we've just been growing and growing, and we were got a four-game win streak. We're 9-1 and in our last 10 games. We've won four of the – we want, we've gone on our four-game winning streak without BAM, so that also says a lot to how much our team has really improved and how proud of – like, how proud of it we are. And overall, our team has just grown. And last night's game, I know our team is not the best on defense, but last night we really showed, like, great defense, not just Apollo, but Butler, um, Hero. Like Jimmy said, we had – he played great defense, and so – I'm just—I'm sure all of you nations just proud to, to how far the team has come, and we bounced back as everyone hoped we would and knew we would. So it's always a great thing.
0: And then you know, moving forward, I want to talk about you know, this episode. I really want to make it a Jimmy Butler appreciation episode because the bro has been bowling out, whether if if Bam is there or not. Like, dude is going out there and doing his thing. And I, I, it, it sucks that COVID happened for him because I really feel like, and I know all of Heat Nation feels this and that it's that he should be in the MVP conversation and he should be a legit candidate. I mean, well, how do you guys feel? I know Clutch, you hit on. I mean, I know, yeah, Flash, you hit on it, but um. MVP.
2: You. Jim VP,
3: Jim VP, Jim VP, let's go. <laughs> now,
2: listen, man, hey, we, we got to talk- get that trending. We got to get
6: that yeah, trending. I
3: already tweeted course. about it. I got a couple of retweets already, so we're going places heck, so, hey, so far. Heck yeah.
2: We, got, we have to talk about this. And I saw some. I saw a great quote from Jimmy Butler on Twitter that came from Brady Hawk from Five Reasons. He Jimmy Butler was asked about the opening tip it was last night, which was awesome. And he <laughs> said and he said me and Spo talked about it before the game. He said to impact winning. And Jimmy Butler responded with, Hey, let's start with the jump ball. That's legend talk right there. That's uh I think a quote that Spo said at one point or another, I think in the NBA finals, that's the that's the sound of a champion before he becomes a champion. So he's been awesome. I love what Jimmy Butler's been doing. He's he just he's been steamrolling everybody and I love it on both sides of the floor. He's been great and he most definitely should be in the MVP conversation.
0: For sure, then Brian. what how, how about you? How do you feel about this?
5: Uh, I think you should be in the conversation for sure. Like I, I don't want to be the skunk at the garden party and say that. Like I don't know. Like he's obviously been playing out of his mind. This is without a doubt, the best season of his career, and I think that, you know, he should absolutely get some votes for MVP at the end of the season, but I still feel like you have a guy like Giannis who's putting up monster numbers, as he always says, and he's on a team with a better record, right? Um, I don't know. I don't think he's going to win the MVP, but, you know, you have guys like Joel Embiid and Kevin Durant and LeBron James is always a strong candidate, so I don't know if he is even like a top three candidate, but I think you can make a a solid argument that he's around top five, you know. Like I said, he's in the conversation, but he's not like a realistic uh, winner of the MVP, if that makes sense. But I think that, like I said, if you're talking about the MVP, then you have to mention what Jimmy's doing because he's he's playing great. Right.
0: And then the man himself who's named Jimmy Buckets, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs)
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't have a you can't have a Jimmy Butler conversation without Jimmy Buckets in here, man. <laughs> nothing nothing makes me happier than to talk about the Heat, my favorite basketball team, and nothing makes me happier than to talk about my favorite basketball player of all time, Mr. Jimmy G Buckets. And the G stands for gets. Uh I love Jimmy so much, man. I've always been a fan of him, even when he wasn't on the Heat. One of my favorite players I always rooted for And since joining the the heat and watching how much he's impacted our team and embraced, um, the Miami Heat culture and the Miami Heat way of basketball and how he just wants to make people better and just wants to win at all costs. That jump ball was my absolute favorite moment of the game last night. Jimmy, Jimmy, I've never seen him. He got so excited when he got the first tip. Then they, then they canceled it and had to re-tip it. And then, then he out jumps. Seven foot Vucevic gets the tip and celebrates like he just won the NBA Finals. So <laughs> that that man has passion, and I haven't seen that kind of passion and just will to win, and just strive to be better and have other people better, and just determination. in In my thirty some years of watching the NBA, I've never seen a player that's just that hungry and that just wants to win. Uh, and i love having him on our team I, he's just a perfect fit here and uh hopefully' well, we'll i mean i know we're going to offer him an extension next year and i know he's going to take it he'll he'll have his career here uh, you know the rest of his career here and uh as far as getting players to help him out and everything jimmy i know jimmy uh has been involved in with the heat front office as far as which players uh they would be interested in and would he be interested in them and who it, would take moving in order to get them, and Jimmy's so far been happy with what he has. Apparently, from everything I've read, uh, it, as far as making moves, there's certain players that he he is friends with and and would potentially want to get like a Lowry or you know other people like that. But uh, I think he he really likes Ko. He really likes Tyler. He, he likes this team. So making him happy, I think he's really happy. Um, but I, you know, as far as making a move, I would like to see us put another piece around him, especially a score, uh, four, you know, somebody just to, to help, help him. So he doesn't have to go all out every night, even though I know he, he can go all out and, and he's still, uh, got what it takes and is just, I think he, I know he's in the prime right now, but I think he still has a few more years of this left. So. Just just love Jimmy and glad he's a part of our team and organization.
0: Right. And then, Angelina, I know you started your own campaign for Jimmy Butler to win MVP on Twitter. MVP. Yes. <laughs> but, MVP? no,
3: seriously, if he gets snubbed again, I'm suing the national basketball. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but to be serious, like, the fact that he came back after two weeks, COVID, well, he kicked COVID, but it's not the other way around. But to average 21 points a game, to score five triple doubles in that time period of coming back and leading your team to all these victories without a bunch of key players like Bam, Hero, and dragish that just, if that's not MVP stats, then I don't know what is. And of course, like, you know, there's Joel Embiid, LeBron James, all those top tier players that have obviously contributed a lot to their teams with scoring and stats, et cetera. But I feel like Jimmy Butler is the real, I feel like, MVP doesn't just mean stats, but also leadership towards your team. And Jimmy Butler has been nothing but that, but a constant leader and mentor for the team and the t- players. And so I feel like if anyone deserves it the most, and I'm not being biased, it's him because he shows leadership. He sh- he proves and shows the stats. He has what it takes to be an MVP. And if he should definitely 100% be in the conversation because... Look at what he's done for the team and look at what he's proven because like i said although he's been out for so long with the covid and but he came back and proved the point kicked its butt and now he's he's fallen again you know it's jimmy buckets so he should definitely be in the conversation i think
0: for sure and then you know you look at this team and as you guys mentioned The Heat aren't fully healthy, and I think that could be a scary thing. So with that being said, we've talked about this Heat team after last night and after the amazing performances we've seen by Jimmy Butler. The question that we honestly need to ask is, aside from Brooklyn, is there really any team in the East that could touch Miami right now? Who wants to answer Maybe the
3: Sixers. Well, they don't have Joel Embiid, and I don't know if Ben Simmons is back, but maybe the Sixers, possibly Milwaukee, but I don't know. Because, hey, look, we beat the number one team in the league, but that's in the West. But either way, it's the number one team in the league. Not many people, except for 10 other teams, including us, well, nine including us, can say that they've beat the Utah Jazz. So that's, I think, an accomplishment in itself. And so I feel like the only three teams we would really have to worry about are the Sixers, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. So... But that's my opinion. Maybe you guys have different thoughts, but I just wanted to throw that out there.
2: We can beat any team in a seven-game series, not named the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets are just too good right now, and they're They're just too good right now. Doing it without, without Kevin Durant. Yeah, so I, imagine, I imagine that. I I agree. If we
6: if we if we don't make a move. We can beat any team in a seven game series besides Brooklyn and a healthy Philly might be really, really tough or would be really, really tough. But, it, but if we make a, some sort of move, then I think we can, we can, we can give Brooklyn a run for their money.
2: I don't think there's a scenario today where we can make a trade and be the favorites in the East. I think that's always going to be Brooklyn. It's just going to be a matter of fact of what can we do to give them a fight?
3: Well, if you really think about it, the first game that we played against them, we didn't have Butler. We didn't have Bradley. Well, I don't remember if we had Bradley or not, but we didn't have Jimmy. And that was already a scary thing as it is playing Brooklyn with James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. But we were only short by four points and Bam absolutely went off that game. That's where he scored his career high 41 points. And I'm sure everyone thought this was just going to be a blowout. You know, Brooklyn was going to beat us by like 30 something points, whatever. But we proved them wrong and we came so 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 close to beating them in the first game. Right. Our back to back. Right, season.
2: but this this happens this happens a lot with super teams, especially when they see the other team is battered and bruised. Um they play down to their competition. So the fact that we came between between like four points of beating them doesn't really do anything for me. Because I'm pretty sure if they were, they knew Jimmy Butler was playing. I don't know. I don't. I, I can't remember if Goron's played that those games, but if they knew that he were fully healthy and they were, they weren't bad at the time because the Heat were bad. They probably would have put on a way better effort than they showed. So just being four point a four point difference in the game really doesn't say anything. I still think, as it's
5: currently constructed, the Brooklyn Nets would would kick our ass. That's just yeah. The, I'm the I'm with- situation. I'm I'm with that take like I think that in a series against Milwaukee and the 76ers the heat would be underdogs but I think that they could still beat those teams um, you know especially if they make a move or two uh, but the Nets I just man you don't bet against Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving like I don't care that they don't have much of anything else beyond those guys those are three absolute killers and I just don't see anyone really messing with those dudes. So I think that unless you know Bradley Beal f- fell out of the sky, you know, for the eat, there isn't really much that we're gonna do to to mess with them. I think that they can make it tough. I think that you know, especially if they get a Victor Oladipo or something, you know, or some some other move, some other some other big upgrade. But outside of that, I don't. I just don't see anybody really touching the nets. <clears throat>
6: Jimmy Buckets, what about you? The Nets are so good. They're so freaking good. Like, And they just keep getting better. And who knows what they're going to be able to do, if they're going to do anything or if they'll be able to do anything uh, before free agency. And they, they may, and people want to go there. They might be able to get people in veterans minimums or, you know, these free agents like a boogie or somebody who can sign wherever they want. They, they might want to go get a ring. Um, because right now Brooklyn's looking like the favorite overall. I mean, those like it's, they have a three-headed beast. I mean, that I, I don't even see any team in the West really giving them too. I mean, too crazy much of a problem. I mean, if if they play to their full potential, uh, and I think Griffin was playing possum in Detroit, so I think he's better than than people are thinking. You know, I think he has a little bit of gas left in the tank still. I. I just think they're way too good. And I think that they may even get better. And uh, is, how long – does anybody know how long Dinwiddie's out for? I
0: think the whole season, mm-hmm. right?
6: The whole season? Is he out for the whole season? Okay. All right. That's Yeah, I was going to say I, I didn't know if they were getting him back or not. But, uh, yeah, they're just really good. The only way I see us competing with them is if we do a major move, like somehow land our, our two South Florida boys, Ola Depot and Collins. Like we would need something like two – main players or something like that. I don't think an Oladipo or a Collins pushes us over the edge on Brooklyn. Those are my two favorite uh, players that we've been linked to besides Vucevic, too, but I don't think Orlando's ever going to get rid of him. He's he's insane. Um, I would love to have him. But, but yeah, we're, I think we're going to need to make a big splash in the next couple of weeks if we want to compete with Brooklyn this year.
0: Right. Because when you look at it, I mean, the East definitely is stacked with talent. And then that's when you have to look at the potential trade and buyout market. Buyout market, truth be told, I don't really look at that the same way as I probably would have looked at it last year. Because the mentality I have for that is if a player gets bought out, they're most likely either going to go to Brooklyn um, or one of the L.A. teams. That's what I think. You no, know, I don't really have that mentality where, oh, they're going to maybe come to Miami. Uh, regarding the trade uh, market, that's something where I look with a more um, optimistic note on. So, you know, with trade deadline coming very soon, in less than two weeks from now, you know, that leads to a question. I know we've talked about this a lot in past episodes, <coughs> but I feel like things have changed so much since then. So... I want to ask you guys: Is there any trade targets that are out there for Miami that you think could make a big difference if Miami was to get them?
2: the The number one trade target that Miami should get—I I use the word "should" because I don't know if they're going to win, or even they haven't really reported much interest—is Victor Oladipo. I think that's the realistic target, the realistic number one target. Because if we're talking about Bradley Veal and these guys, these guys aren't available. They're not available. They're probably not going to be available. So I think Victor Oladipo is the clear-cut number one target. But if you want to go lower down the list, I'm a fan, I'm a fan of going after a Marcus Aldridge, especially giving up players that don't even play. Because I saw a report about Avery Bradley, Moe list and there was somebody else in there that just, Myers. they don't play So Myers. And Myers, yeah, so they don't play, so why not, it's really, you don't lose anything from it, so I'm a fan, I would be a fan of a LaMarcus Aldridge move um, but that would probably, for me to be okay with it, would probably have to come after the Heat, do their full diligence on somebody like like
5: a Victor Oladipo mm-hmm.
0: What about you, Brian?
5: Um, there's a lot of trade targets. I mean I think uh like let's said uh you know Victor Oladipo is kind of the guy that I have been focused on for a minute. Uh John Collins, I think, is another name. Apparently there's a report that came out today that the Hawks are more locked in on trading him. I don't know how true it is. Um, but he's definitely, definitely a guy that you gotta look at. I like even Alonzo Ball, you know, I think that he's a guy that could help supercharge his offense. You know, I'd love to see Lonzo throwing lobs to to Bam. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I also think that a deal is is pretty unlikely at this point. Um, some lower tier moves: Marcus Aldridge, Rudy Gay. You know, I would probably check in on a Harrison Barnes. There's a lot of names to be had. The thing is that the Heat have to be active, right? And they can't settle for uh, a or a PJ Tucker and just kind of think that that's going to be good enough you know there's there's a lot of names out there and i think that with the way that their roster is you know like do you want to pay none and d rob you know um what are people gonna be willing to give you for an avery bradley you know uh can you shed some salary you know whether it's myers or um Harkless? you know i think there's a lot of moving pieces on this roster already to where you can kind of feel comfortable saying all right well we can look at all these names and really see what's out there but like jimmy buck has mentioned jimmy loves his team you know so it's kind of going to be a question of like how much he wants to shake things up because that's something that we don't know maybe he doesn't feel comfortable bringing in a bigger name but i think ultimately a victor Oladipo is, is the guy that kind of makes the most sense because they've been linked together the longest
0: right right because the only conflict with Victor Oladipo is that you know we don't know if uh, this guy we wants, don't know if it's... um like we don't know if he wants a, what's it called what do what what do you call it a max contract because if he does that's automatically the deal breaker and the question that I want to ask real quick before we talk about more trade targets is if Miami did want Victor Oladipo it's like wouldn't they have already gotten him because. Miami clearly have has the assets for him if you look at it. I mean, what do you guys think? Like don't like do you think Miami honestly wants him at this point?
3: I mean, they're probably trying to wait if someone bigger comes around. But like you said we could have definitely gotten him if we really wanted him because like you said we have the assets and everything, but I feel like they are waiting for somebody bigger or like better stats-wise to come around. Not saying not saying Oladipo doesn't have good stats. You know, he puts up great stats, but maybe just taking their time with it and not rushing it. Like, most people want them to be like, oh, just pick Oladipo, what are you waiting for? Same thing with Bradley, be like, oh, why don't, just get Beal already, what are you waiting for? They're strategically planning out what they want to do, and they're not just going to rush in, because if they rush and say they do pick Oladipo, say someone bigger and better comes around, like maybe Beal did want to come around, or, I don't know, Alonzo, or... Some, somebody of the sorts but I feel like they're just taking it slow and planning it correctly just to make sure that they don't make the wrong decision too fast if that makes any sense
2: Lo- All right. Beal is All right, okay but Lonzo's not better than Oladipo
3: No I'm just saying um, Lonzo puts up good offense and defense
2: but I mean, Oladipo's been putting up 25
3: points per game in the last 5 games that's true, but I'm just saying, like any Ola, other. Oladipo, Oladipo Ola quit last night after the first half. <laughs> I wouldn't blame him, bro. They're on a six-game losing streak. Come on now. He,
2: he straight, that looks like a Pat Riley type of guy.
6: He, 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 straight, he straight quit. They they benched him. They benched him. The second half, he quit. Uh, so I mean, they're gonna they're definitely moving him. They they gave up James Harden for a bag of potato chips. <laughs> they they should. I don't know why they didn't keep Karis LeVert. They're idiots. They, they lost, they gave up, Jared, they had Jared. I mean, they're just dumb. They traded James Harden for Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, and then get rid of them for nothing. And Genuinely, then getting, I don't
3: blame Oladipo because he crazy. doesn't want, he's playing the win, not to lose, and they're on a, no, I know. a losing streak. It's, it's, like, come on they, now.
6: <laughs> nobody nobody wants to be in Houston. They're taking mad L's. Uh, but we need not to get, I
3: think,
6: I think we need to make a move for Oladipo before somebody else does. I've, I've heard this morning about, the Magic, uh, Aaron Gordon for All the depot. and if, if All the depot goes to the Magic, if the Magic get All the depot and we do not, that would make me that's just so throw sad. up. I would it's just so throw sad. up.
2: I would throw up everywhere.
6: Um, <laughs> that would be awful.
2: If we get we, out, we, we get know, out, we we know out. Vic wants to be here. That's like that's the thing on top of that. It's not that it's just he doesn't want to be in Houston. He has openly said he wants to be in the Miami Heat. Yeah. So. So take him. What are they waiting for? I think I think he fits. I think he fits perfectly. Pat Riley wait. does to be honest, I think Pat Riley does most of his moves like you said around the trade deadline because he wants to survey the entire landscape. So, I when people say, "Oh, why if if we really wanted him, we would have got him already." Not necessarily because of that factor. Pat Riley makes his moves like the day before the day of so he wants to survey the entire landscape, make sure every piece there's make sure you don't make a trade for the depot and then something something else pops up, maybe a John Collins for the right price or something like that. oh
3: wasn't wasn't Zach Levine in the conversation too or was that just a rumor?
2: That I think that's, that's just true. a rumor. He's not he's not going. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, cuz like I know it's hard because you keep hearing over and over again like Miami's interested in this guy, they're interested in this dude, you know, it's kind of hard to like We really lose understand.
3: track after so many
0: Yeah, like it's kind of hard to understand which reports are true or not until like the actual legit sources Whether if it's five reasons or Barry Jackson, one of those guys comes out and confirms it, you know But until then, you know, we just keep hearing all these noise from these certain other reporters that some of them we've never, Yeah, like some of them we've never even heard of before Like people who don't even have their own picture, like they don't even, they're not even followed by like big people. Cause I know, you know, for fans, you know, you have your way of trying to find out like who a report, how a reporter is legit. Whether if, oh, they're followed by this certain type of people and all that, you know, it's hard to tell. And all you're just doing is putting yourself in a situation where. You're just simply trying to find out if the guy's reliable and if the news is true, and trying to see if other people are gonna back it up. So with that being said, like it's just hard to really understand who Miami's honestly going after, unless one of those big name reporters, you know, whether if it is Five Reasons, Barry Jackson, whatever, you know, it, unless one of them are reporting it, you know, you're just gonna keep on hearing the noise, especially for players like Levine and all of them.
2: Yeah, you got to make sure to to know what's noise and what's actually available. Uh, Like we've seen the reports of by five reasons by Barry Jackson, like you said about Lamarcus Aldridge, so that's very real.
0: Yeah,
4: and
2: you really haven't seen much report lately about Oladipo either. We, he's of course he's we know he's gonna be he's available, but there hasn't been there's been a lot of interest from Oladipo to Miami. But not not a lot of sound coming from Miami to Oladipo.
0: Mm-hmm. True. So you know you know starting starting to back away from Oladipo. Like, is there any other names that we haven't brought up yet that you feel like we should acknowledge for this trade deadline?
6: The free agency, uh, or the potential players that are going to be free agents next year that teams are looking to move that they don't want to pay is probably one of the worst I've seen in a few in years it's not that great and the people that are going to be free agents like Kawhi Leonard are probably going to stay put uh, but I did I posted something last night in the the heat versus the world group chat about Hawaii being basically fed up to at this point just saying they stink and you know this and that so you know, who, who knows? You never know, but I, I don't think he's going anywhere. But um, it just I'm just talking about potential like next like next year who we could sign possibly in the offseason. But uh, players that are going to be free agents next year, that people are looking to move, uh, it's, it's not like we basically covered most of them. Like, a, you know, Oladipo, Collins, uh, Barnes, Aldridge, maybe Gay. The only one that wasn't
2: really covered is DeRozan.
6: Yeah, DeRozan. But yeah, he could be a
2: yeah guy. I, I haven't. I
6: haven't heard anything about him in a while. That there was a lot, a lot of chatter going on with him for a little bit, and then it just kind of died off.
5: I think it's it like he's staying put. Yeah, the Spurs are in the playoffs right now, right? Uh, yeah, they're but, seventh in the West, But they're, so they're not they're good they're probably. To compete. Yeah, yeah, not. I, I don't think they're going to win a championship or anything. Or, um, but I do think that maybe. It's, it's realistic that they're like, well, you know, if we trade DeMar, then that means we're tanking. And I don't yeah. know what the pick situation is like, so maybe they just don't feel comfortable, you know, giving up on at least being in the playoffs. But yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with their, uh, their thinking. I mean, they got beat by 40 points by
6: Philly with no – what, no, no Embiid? Or no Simmons?
2: Or that. One of their main players of the night. They got spanked last night. <sighs> I don't know. Right. but the, the Spurs think a lot like the like the Heat. They always want to compete. So yeah. if they're in the seventh seed, like if you got to think about it, if the Heat were in their position in the West, True. and they, you don't really have a shot a shot of competing, but you're still the seventh seed. Pat Riley's not selling. He's yeah. staying put, and he's trying to. He's going to go out in the sweep if he has to. But as long as he makes the playoffs. Yeah, I feel like the Spurs are the
6: Raptors of the West. Like. Uh, the the good organizations like us because I feel like us Toronto San Antonio are probably the three like best like most stand up organizations and I and I feel like Toronto's you know they're they're going down a little bit uh, you know from what they used to be at San Antonio they're not what they used to be but they're still relative and they and they both want to compete so yeah I can see why they Toronto would like to has some team.
2: decisions to make. Oh, yeah, 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 we
6: haven't talked
0: about Lowry. How did we not talk about Lowry? That surprises me. I not.
3: know. I was. Just, I, when, I, when I heard Raptors, I was like, oh, yeah, Kyle Lowry. But <laughs> right, yeah, he's so, definitely an option, I think. He'd be a great contributor to our team.
2: Right, so and if GD you look loves, at Lowry, if you look at Lowry, uh, I, I, there was another report coming with, with the Aldridge report about Kyle Lowry, about us... Putting Goran Dragic in the trade, I don't think that's real. I don't no. think that's legitimate. I don't think that he are going to move on from Dragic not not because Dragic is just as good or better because he he can be just as good or better, but in spurts, not no longer the, through the whole game. But it's way deeper than that now. Dragic is one day probably going to have his jersey raised. Not probably. So that's happen. I
3: hope they do I really hope they do he oh, didn't okay
2: Lowry I, I mean Dragic is gonna Dragic is gonna have his Jersey raised. so it's deeper than that Miami's a very loyal organization they they realized they messed up by putting him in a in a trade to to that to Dallas that eventually fell through because Dallas has hearing problems apparently um, but it was the probably the best thing that's ever happened to us and they realized that Drogic is a heat lifer and doing him wrong by sending him to to Canada, no thank you. Right. Well, Tampa Bay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, aside from the idea that you could send Gorin there, I mean, what would a Kyle Lowry package really look like? Just curious.
2: Oh, a whole bunch of filler. A whole, whole bunch yeah, cause- of $30 million. <laughs> Kendrick, Kendrick
6: Nunn, Kelly Olenek, Myers Leonard, Avery Bradley, one of those. I think, I, I think we stick with Iggy. I, I don't think Iggy's going to be a part of any package. We wouldn't I think give they,
3: Hero 2 or no? Oh, no. No, no. No, not for
6: Coward. No, not for Calvin. Hell no. It would, be, it would be none and expirings. I don't even think we would have to give them any picks. I think none in expirings would be would good enough. Well, I think
3: Olenek's going to have to go regardless because his contract's expiring unless they decide to resign him. But I doubt that's I don't think win. they're. I don't
2: think I that's I hope not. Yeah. Listen, like, speaking of Kelly, really quick, um, he's been – He's been playing good lately, but that's a product of not having Bam he's out there.
3: The with Bam, I think all the with,
2: with Bam, Kelly Kelly is no good. I'm sorry to say it for the Kelly Olinic truthers out there. Kelly is no good with Bam out there. So if as soon as Bam comes back, you're going to go back to calling him trash. I'm calling it right now because it's going to happen. Kelly O'Linick, he's playing really good. Maybe that's a little bit of raising this trade stock. Sell high. Kendrick um, Nunn. Yeah. Yeah. Sell high. And keep in mind, these guys that are so inconsistent sell high.
0: And keep in mind, like you said, I mean, dude is on an expiring contract. You know, a new nickname I feel like you should get is Contract Year Kells. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what it is. Like, you don't know if this guy is going to bowl out this year just so he could get a better contract. Because we don't know what he's going to do next year. Because let's say we get, for some reason, we say to Kelly, you know what, you were bowling this year, we're going to give you a a better contract. And let's say he gets it. My God. And then starting next season, you know, it's the same guy we've been calling trash all along. You know, so I don't think Miami will make the Hassan type mistake where they're going to pay him. I mean, I don't think anyone thinks that. So, yeah, there's that. You know, by the time Bam comes back and all that, like you said, Flash, you know, all this talk about contract year Kells being a bowler, probably we're probably going to have to put that to bed.
5: <laughs> well, I think that's what you sell to other teams, right? Like, you tell other teams, hey, you know, he will play better in your system because he's going to be more of a focal, part, uh, focal point of your offense. And... You know, I think that these past few games have kinda of showed that. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully he's raising his trade stock a little bit because, you know, I think that the Heat kinda of know that the four is where they have to upgrade and I think just for Kelly himself, you know, it's probably better for him, you know, in his contract situation if he can go to a different team and and kinda of show what he can do. So, you know, it's great it'd be great if they could mutually work that out. But you know, he has to keep playing decently up until the trade deadline.
0: And I mean, curious question, where are we with Rudy Gay? Like, what's happening there?
2: Does anyone know? I mean, I, I think you would try You would try to get both LaMarcus and Rudy in, yeah. in some sort of way. You would try. I don't think... I I think uh goes back to what we were talking about to Rosen at one point. Pop probably wants to keep most of his guys around. So, Gay might be tougher to get, obviously, than the Marcus who who has already mutually agreed with the Spurs part ways. But, yeah, uh, I think as long as they're competing, it's going to be hard to get Rudy Gay.
5: Yeah, Rudy Gay's been playing pretty well this season. So, you'd have to give up something pretty valuable. Like, I, I don't think that a KZ Akpala, for example, would sway this Spurs to move Rudy Gay. It would have um, to be a Kendrick Nunn, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know if I'm the Spurs, I would probably rather have Rudy Gay and Kendrick Nunn. But yeah, I don't know. Cuz they already have a lot of guards, right? Yeah, you know, they, they're they're lo- they're, lo-
6: they're loaded with guards. They got Murray, White, Mills. Uh they have a good they have a good guard rotation.
5: Yeah. yeah so we, I'm just I not sure can, what they would want.
2: I also think we can pretty much agree on the fact that any trade that miami does with san antonio or with other teams is probably going to be a three-way team trade with the with the oklahoma city thunder yeah. by un- unprotecting that pick so more picks become available because eventually the difference might be that one first round pick so you would you would think that oklahoma will be involved in any trade
5: see but then the question is like do you want to trade a first for rudy gay essentially no, I don't know. Pat I really I, doesn't care about picks. Yeah, no, I, I know that he doesn't and that's kind of been his MO, but then I feel like you gotta look at the teams and say, Hey man, when you've had first round picks, you've done really well with them. I mean Dwayne Wade, yeah. Bam Adebayo, Bio, Tyler Hero, like like when they get the opportunity to scout a high talent player and bring him in, they're usually pretty damn good. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, Brian. Smart.
6: I agree. Brian, do you think that Brian? I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I need to ask you this because I respect your opinion a lot. Yeah, do you, I think, it. do you think that our Miami's first round pick, like us giving up a first round pick, is it's more valuable to us than it would be another organization just because of our scouting and how and, and how well we've done with drafting over the past? You know,
5: since since we since the Riley era. Oh, no, I absolutely think that the first round picks are more valuable to Miami because, you know, they have developed talent really, really well. I mean, like you look at the number of guys who haven't worked out on other teams. Like if you put those dudes in Miami, I'm sure a lot of them would have had pretty damn good careers, you know. So I I am fully confident that, you know, whatever pick that ended up being would probably be a more productive player than Rudy Gay or LaMarcus Aldridge would end up being for the Heat. agree it's it's
6: it's whether we want to think short-term or long-term it's like because they would basically be rentals a pick would be something we could develop but you know it's it's, great but we've got to think uh, uh go ahead Oh, I was just saying. Butler. Butler still has two or three years left in his prime, but he—I see him playing like LeBron until his late thirties, um, and I and I believe he'll be a heat lifer. So, it's kind of reminds me of the D Wade situation, uh, before, like in oh eight oh nine or whatever, when when he just had like Richardson, O'Ne- uh, washed up Jermaine O'Neal, maybe Beasley. I think was his second option or something, but they didn't. They didn't really make moves, I believe, in 09 when they could have. Um, and Wade was in his prime then and was stuck with a really really mediocre team but the reason they did that was with the intention of the next year with the LeBron and Bosch so I kind of feel like it's a sort of similar situation with Jimmy now this team's a lot better than the 09 team though this is a, a good team so but but I feel like basically Wade was in his prime in about like 0 0-9. Going into 10, and I believe that's where Jimmy's at kind of now. So I think it's, you know, kind of we have that window. So I hope we, we think about winning soon, sooner than later. So I hope that – I wouldn't even mind this um, at, at the point, one or two years short-term things, rather than picks having developed over years because I'm wanting to win with Jimmy while wow, he's prime Jimmy
5: right now. No, that's fair. I think another thing we have to right. also consider, though, is that you can use those picks for bigger trades. Yeah. So, if a Bradley Beal does become available, True. True. then you can hold. Yeah, them, you want yeah. those assets. True. Yeah. True. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
2: You're 100 percent right on that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. For that, I completely one one thousand percent agree. But if we're talking about because the picks we're talking about that are available for us to trade when if we unprotect the OKC pick and all that, I think it's 2024 and 2027. Something like that. And I don't think... I really don't think in terms of just developing picks and all that, I don't think 75-year-old Pat Riley is is interested in the 2024 (laughs) first round pick. Because by then, he'd probably be sipping sipping margaritas in Malibu. So I don't think he cares. I think... And the man in charge is Pat Riley. So those 2024 picks don't really matter because... He's, he said he, he looks at the picks and he's like I'm not going to be here for that Might as well trade him So I, that's that's the reason I don't I don't see us keeping the picks In terms of To use them in a draft If you want to talk about Using them in a bigger trade Sure That make, that actually makes a lot of sense But to keep them Just to have them Nah
1: yeah, no, and, uh,
2: oh, Go ahead Oh,
6: I was just saying, I was just saying that, no, you go first, Brian, because what, I, what I'm saying is going
5: to switch, it's going to change what you were going to say. All right. Um. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, I think that Pat Riley, you know, I mean, we know his history, he, he doesn't really care about the picks. But again, I just kind of think that he has to be more forward thinking with like, all right, well, you know, would a team like Washington care about a 2024 pick? Probably. And, you know, is it more, is it? More worth it for us to use a pick on a Rudy Gay, who probably isn't going to take us over the top and beat the Nets, versus you know the potential of that pick being used in a bigger trade or down the line for some other move. You know, personally, I think that the short-term gratification of having a Rudy Gay just to make it slightly more competitive with the Nets, but still ultimately lose, isn't worth what the pick could. End up giving you whether whether it's via development or trading it in a superstar move. So that's kind of where I'm at. I I typically philosophically more like, you know, trade a pick if you know that it's going to be a big enough move to make a difference. But if moving it isn't going to really do anything for you, then it it just seems like burning it just to burn it, which doesn't really, which I think can hurt you down the line. True. True.
6: What, what I was going to say is I've heard that Riley's been trying to make some moves and that Mickey Arison's kind of had him handcuffed on some things, not wanting to dip into the luxury tax. And I wanted to bring that up and see if you guys have heard anything about that and have any opinions on, on that whole situation.
2: I don't I don't think that's true. I, I just don't because Mickey Arison's been on record saying that if a move helps you – Get to the championship level that he would pay into the tax. So I just, I really, really have a hard time believing that that's actually true. I think it's whoever says that is just looking for somebody to blame for not being able to make a trade. And obviously, nobody wants to blame Pat Riley. I mean, that's not quite true because a lot of people are calling him Wash, which that's another beef I have for, for another day. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't buy that. I don't think it's true. And, yeah, that's pretty much my whole opinion
0: on it. And by the way, like, you know, I don't think Minky would care about luxury tax and all that because at the end of the day, the Heat is trying to win a championship. So, you know, it's very—it's a very short list of teams, of a list of championship teams out there that didn't go over the luxury tax to win a championship. You know, a handful of teams who went on to win a title have went over the luxury tax so to say that mickey Harrison wouldn't be willing to do something like pay the luxury tax you know that's kind of hard to believe personally for me you know he's won three championships before he knows the sacrifices that you gotta make to bring another trophy home the idea that all of a sudden he simply doesn't want to pay the luxury tax just seems like too unbelievable for me to really comprehend
6: that's good. I was hoping it. I was hoping that stuff wasn't true. I was reading stuff about like the COVID and the carnival stuff, like him losing a lot of money with the cruise lines and whatnot. Um, yeah. might have something to do with it, but I was hoping it wasn't true, but I saw it a lot of places. And so that's why I wanted to ask y'all to see what y'all thought about it. So I was hoping that wasn't true and I didn't think it would because of the past, but that's at least I was reading a lot about that, like, uh, in the last few days. And I was like, I, I didn't know who else to, to you know, bounce bounce it off of, besides you guys. So I'm glad to hear that that's probably not true. That's a good thing.
5: Yeah, I'm not sure. It's it's weird, right? Because, I mean, Mickey is a billionaire, right? So ultimately, yeah. like, it shouldn't matter. <laughs> yeah, but, true. you know, you know what they say about billionaires. Like, you don't get to have that much money by being willy-nilly <laughs> with your spending, right? Yeah, so true. I think I, I could be remembering this wrong, but I do think that Mickey has said in the past that he wouldn't pay the luxury tax for a team that wasn't a championship caliber team and if he feels that whatever move pat is going to make isn't going to bring him a championship and you know he's paying extra money for nothing essentially then i can see why you know as a billionaire who's shrewd with his money going to be like i'd rather not give up millions of dollars when that could go towards money that i'm losing on carnival or money that i have to pay in lawsuits because he's dumping sewage into the ocean or whatever else billionaires do with that cash right invest it <laughs> or buy a new yacht or whatever the billionaire right? problems billionaire problems. yeah yeah and like personally i'm not worried about what mickey harrison has to pay like billionaires not to get too political but you know billionaires should be contributing more to society than they are so i really don't i really don't care but i i can see the mentality that he would have to say i'm just not going to pay that money it's not it's not abnormal amongst people who make that kind of cash right
0: no but with that being all said you know i mean we'll just see what this front office does you know and there's a lot of questions that I feel like us have, as Heat fans have asked, you know, time and time. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, we'll get all of our answers come trade deadline, which is less than two weeks from now. And while we're still on that topic, is there anything else you guys want to talk about regarding the trade deadline?
5: Uh, don't give up a first round pick for P.J. Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Listen, uh,
2: Houston... I don't know what the hell you're doing by asking not even for a first round thing by asking for Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson. I don't know what the hell you're doing, but that's a pretty quick way of getting Pat to just throw his phone into the ocean and never hear from you again.
5: <laughs> no, for real. Yeah.
2: I just I just hope I just hope something serious
6: happens and these teams quit doing stuff like that, like the Houston stuff, like just throwing out crap knowing it's not going to stick to the wall you know (laughs) like it's that's terrible i i I hope we make a move a good move and i hope these other teams get more serious and stop throwing out all these ridiculous scenarios
0: right then aside from that anything else we should bring up for the trade deadline i mean we are going to talk about this again very soon you know, when Tread Deadline does come around, I know very soon, uh, to those listening, we will be doing a pod with Greg Sylvander later on, so stay tuned for that. But, you know, is there anything else we should address till then? I
2: think we covered all the, all the, all the potential targets, stuff. and yeah, pretty much all the important stuff. We just got to be patient. I mean, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen in the next, I believe, 10 days. So if something happens, it's going to be very soon. If it doesn't, we're going to have to ride out what we got, which isn't necessarily the worst thing ever. Uh, our ceiling for this team really is going to come down to, if we stay the same, it's really going to come down to seating and who we would match up in the playoffs. Uh, I could say if the dominoes fall right, our ceiling could be the lead-